When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search. But what if you could get rid of the search and just match? You can with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Some people just know bundling with Allstate means big savings. Just like they know the right ingredient means big flavor. They know honey on pizza is where it's at. And olive oil on ice cream is the cherry on top. And they know when you bundle home and auto with Allstate, you can save up to 25%. Mm -mm. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois. It's Friday, you know what that means? For Hoops Stats Edition, College Sports Now, Rob Joyce, Megan Gower. Megan, do you know why many have considered us the number one women's college basketball podcast on planet Earth? Because there's not that many women's college basketball podcasts on planet Earth. But the actual answer is because if we were ranked second, all we would do is lose. Because if you're ranked number two in the country, apparently that's what you do. Fourth week in a row, the number two team in the country has lost. This week, a little misleading. I think K-State flying a little too close to the sun without Aoka Lee. But it goes to show you, no team is safe. Unless your name is South Carolina. Yeah. Yeah. It's been an interesting week for not just the number two team in the country, but like the top five, I would say, or so, other than Iowa. Yes. Coming up on today. Yeah. Coming up on today's show, we'll recap the whole week where K State, Colorado, UCLA, LSU, UConn, Baylor, USC have all lost since we last spoke. Spoiler I am 100% out on two of those teams I just listed. And we'll take a deep dive into the ACC race that is starting to gear up late last night. Uh, NC State beat rival North Carolina at home. We'll talk about it with the play-by-play man for the Wolfpack, Andrew Sanders. He'll join us in about, oh, 15 minutes from now. So, Megan, where do you want to begin? We'll save the ACC stuff, but you want to start Pac-12. You want to start uh, Monday, Mississippi State being LSU. Where do you want to go? Well, let's start Pac-12. Yeah, like that's always exciting. So last week, UCLA splits with the Washington schools. Uh, Big win for the Huskies um, in beating USC. Washington State beat UCLA at a cost. Lost their best player, Charlize Ledger-Walker, tore her ACL. Uh, Oregon State sweeps Colorado and Utah at home. So I guess we start with the Beavs, a team that we haven't really talked about at all this year, that is suddenly vaulted up into the top, top 20. They're top 20 in the net, and they're right there in the thick of things. 
Yeah, a team that I thought, like, they had a good non-conference season and that they didn't lose games, but they also didn't really play anyone. So you're yeah. kind of like, oh, we'll see how this goes when they get into conference play. But, I mean, sweeping the mountain schools, Colorado and Utah, is no easy feat. So picking up some some good wins and starting to make some noise in the Pac-12. Yeah, they have a bona fide go-to player in Reagan Beer. She's a sophomore. She averages 18 and 11. She converts, like, 70% of her field goals, super efficient. She kind of gets lost in that league with, you know, Cameron Brink, Irafan, Lauren Betts. So you don't really think about her too a lot. They don't play the fastest, but they're very efficient on offense. They're top 20 points per 100 possessions. They don't crash the offensive glass, but they get all their defensive rebounds. They don't really have a lethal sharpshooter, but they have like seven players who can shoot the three. So they're just, they're a good balanced team. And when you play defense, when you rebound, when, you know, you can get shots from a couple of different people. It's a decent recipe for March. Not saying that they, you know, I don't know if they're final four good, but this is a team that if you looked up in the sweet 16 and they're like a five seed that's still sitting there. Yeah, I see it. Yeah, agreed. I think they've kind of this past weekend, you know, played themselves kind of onto that five line. Now you, you pick up a couple more of these big wins. Can you host maybe we'll see, but I think they're part of that conversation now. Megan Gower's latest bracketology, which was updated Wednesday. Yeah, or yesterday morning. So before last yeah. night's games. Yep, yep. Obviously, it includes last week. So Oregon State, you have them as a five in Portland. So that's that'd be a de facto home game okay. for them yeah. if they go to Portland. Um, I think this is a team that obviously they'll probably pick up a few more losses. That's just the nature of the Pac-12. But right now they're sitting in third place at six and three in the league. Their only three losses are respectable. At USC, at UCLA, at Stanford. You're right. They're not a conference. They didn't play anybody. Not even like a, they beat an okay Villanova team. Um, Texas Tech's not that good. So yeah, they, they didn't play anybody in the non-conference. But what do they have coming up? Oregon on Sunday in the rivalry game. They head to the Mountain Schools. That's kind of weird. They play them twice so quickly. Mm-hmm. So they'll get a chance to, all right, we'll learn about Oregon State. After this weekend, they go to Utah and Colorado. Then they host UCLA and USC. Yeah. So I guess we'll find out. If they're going to host, they have a chance to. Yeah. They've, they've got to win some of those games to do it, but they definitely have a chance. You want to talk UCLA? Uh, I the, the story isn't that they lost. Obviously, it's Lauren Betts, and there's a, a mystery around that where I don't want to, you know, I don't want to poke and prod too deep. Um, the latest, Corey Close was emotional post game. If you missed it over the weekend, officially out with an undisclosed medical reason. Uh, Corey Close spoke with the media Wednesday, said that Betts practiced a little bit, still considered day-to-day, starting to reintegrate her a little bit, and added that UCLA will send out a press release uh, tomorrow, Saturday. I mean, I don't want to you know, say, oh, if Lauren Betts doesn't play, UCLA is worse. Like I, That kind of goes without saying, because mm-hmm. it seems like this could be a little bit bigger than just, oh, she got hurt playing the game of basketball. Yeah, I don't want to speculate because you yeah. never want to speculate about these things. But yeah, the way it's been kind of said and stuff is a little weird. So I guess we'll know more tomorrow. But I mean, just hope she's okay. And obviously, UCLA hope she's okay. She's such a big part of what this team has been doing, and a big part of what they're going to do going into March. Yeah. So the the team is they're not free falling. They're in a bit of a slump compared to where they were at the start of the year. They've dropped down to seventh. Um, who do they got this weekend? Pull it up. Who do they got? Who do they got? 
I so they're like at, they're on the road at Cal, and then Sunday they have a big game with Stanford. Yeah. Um, again, we'll see where Lauren Betts is. I hope she plays Sunday just for the mere sheer entertainment yeah. of Irfan and Brink versus Betts. Um, but I don't take Unless, a whole. Yeah, that's the only game they play Stanford. I'm pretty sure this year too in the regular season. I don't think Stanford has them twice. Efforting, you would be correct in that yeah. assessment. Unless, of course, they played in Vegas. Yeah. I feel like Stanford only has, like, the L.A. schools once, and they only have, like, the Mountain schools once. So, like, probably going to win the Pac-12 on that alone. <laughs> Just they don't have to play everyone twice. They will play the Mountain schools twice. Oh, sorry. It's someone else that's decent. Yep. They don't have twice. They will but... play Oregon State once. That game's coming up yeah. in two weeks. Um, yeah. But they, they get the Mountain schools at home later in the month, and then they head to Stanford Sunday, and they head to Corvallis, and then the, the rest should be fairly manageable. So we just certainly hope Lauren Betts is fine. Uh, hopefully we learn more tomorrow. And then takeaways from a couple of – Washington State wasn't really on the bubble, and then they just secured it with the Sunday win. But uh, Washington very much on the bubble and still have a very difficult schedule the next couple of weeks, but a very important victory over USC that gets the Huskies, for now, you say, on the correct side of things. Yeah, they're in for now, I think. They've got to make sure they, they take care of business against the teams they can beat in the Pac-12, trying to pick up another upset along the way. But I have a feeling that that one might be enough. I think the committee is going to obviously respect how good the Pac-12 has been this year, and that's going to help them too. So Washington right now is, well, I don't know their record. Stand by. <laughs> thought I had it in front of me. I did not. So they're 13-6 and six overall. They're three and five in the conference. They haven't updated the net, but obviously they haven't played, so they won't move too much. Their net right now is 41. That's about as bubbly as a bubble team gets, isn't it? Because top 40 is kind of yeah. where you're... Is your cut line like 40-ish? Obviously, you can. there are exceptions one way or the other. Yeah, around 40-ish. And then I would say the bottom side of it is around 60-ish. And that, that 20 group, group of 20 there is kind of... The bubble. Cool. So that's our Pac-12 recap du jour. It's always always weird to talk about the Pac-12 because it happened so long ago. Like part of me likes yeah. they do Friday, <laughs> Sunday. Then we talk on Fridays and it's like, well, that was a long time ago. Um, yeah. <laughs> Want to move K-State, Oklahoma. I don't have a whole lot of real feelings here. You know, K-State, I said it at the, at the top. I always felt, especially without Aoka Lee, like being the number two team in the country, that's, it's flying a little too close to the sun for what I think the team actually is. Evenly played game, lost by three on the road without their best player to a team. Uh, you know, frankly, needed a win like that on its resume. Right. Um, so you have him for now vaulting Oklahoma into that last four in status with Washington. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's a team that's done maybe well, Washington too, but more for themselves in the last like week and a half than Oklahoma does in terms of beating Texas and then beating Kansas State. Those are two really good wins. But, yeah, I mean, I think everyone knows how I feel about Kansas State at this point. I don't think this is a bad loss. You don't have a Yokely. It's a road loss against a team that's probably going to make the tournament. Not a big deal. They're not the number two team in the country. I don't really think that's shocking either. No, I think <laughs> everyone I've seen, yourself included, has them more as a two seed. I think that's where they're, they'll ultimately fall. And 
I take everything they do until Lee comes back with a grain of salt because assuming, like, I assume it's not a significant injury, so... <laughs> Oh, excuse me. On some wood, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I assume she'll come back. I think the timeline is kind of the end of the month, so she'll get maybe the last week of the season and then conference tournament week to kind of gear back up. I assume she'll be back at 100% for the tournament. So I'll kind of take everything Kansas State does until then with with a grain of salt. Like, all right, they lost close on the road. It's fine. I know what they can be at full strength as opposed to you know, I don't need to take what Texas does with a grain of salt because Rory Harmon ain't coming back, for example. Right, exactly. Um, any thoughts from Can- uh, Kansas, uh, Baylor, Texas last night? I thought, I'm going to be honest, I was a little bored. That was an ugly game yeah. in the first half. Yeah, also, it just feels like Baylor is kind of in, like, a free fall right now. I don't know what's going on with them. It's like they went from, like, being one of the last remaining undefeated teams to what is, like, their fourth loss in, like, a month. So, definitely feels like they're in a bit of a free fall. Yeah, right now they sit in fifth place in the Big 12. Uh, five and four, so they're tied with Texas Tech right now um, for one, two, yeah, sixth place. My apologies. Kansas State is first at nine and one. Oklahoma is a half game back at eight and one. Why would Oklahoma, now let me look at their non-conference. Well, that loss to Southern is a bad one, um, but they don't have a you know, double-digit loss to Princeton. Good Princeton team, but yeah, I understand why they're on the bubble. I maybe, maybe can you explain to me why they're like last four in on the bubble as opposed to like I don't know, nine or a ten seed, given they they played so well in conference play. Yeah, I think it's those losses, and then like the Big Twelve, just it's not the same as being in the, the ACC, the yes. The SEC is that great this year either, but like there's there's the top teams, but I think the floor on the the Big Twelve isn't as high, so it just that hurts you a little bit, and that you're not getting the opportunities for as big of ones every game in in conference play, like some of these other teams are. So it's just a depth a, a depth thing, pretty much. Yeah, exactly. Fair enough. Um, quickly, Andrew's going to join us here, and he said right at nine fifteen. It's nine thirteen right now, so. We don't need to go too far in. Is a team like Princeton or UNLV, as I look at your bracketology, are they in regardless of if they lose in their respective conference championships? Like Princeton right now, you have them as a nine seed. Yeah. UNLV, I think you have them as a seven. Seven, yeah. I would say those are two teams that are definitely in right now. I mean, you know, they went out and just lose in like a conference championship or honestly maybe even a little earlier in their conference tournaments. They're probably okay. Um, I think those two and then Green Bay are the three that I have in that are like auto qualifiers, but also at this point, auto bids. What, what about the A-10 with George Mason and St. Joe's right now? They're hanging around. I think I have George Mason in the first four out, so they're not quite in yet, but they're definitely hanging around there. Richmond is probably like a next four out team too. So they've kind of got three teams that are hanging around a league. I wouldn't be surprised to see get two in when we get we get to March, assuming, you know, two of those three teams are who's playing in your conference championship. Okay, so you're saying Princeton, UNLV, potentially Mason or St. Joe's, and then Green Bay, and then obviously Gonzaga. So those are your, yeah. pretty much those are your at-large hope teams for outside the Powers 6? Yeah, yeah, that's what I would say, that group. Here's a question. Can you name the only one lost team in the country? South Carolina, obviously, still undefeated, but there's only one team with one loss. Do you know who that is? Hint. You live in their general. Vicinity. Is it? 
Is it Fairfield? It's Fairfield. I know they've been good. Their net though is like they're like. I mean, yeah, they're you know again they're they're not gonna get an at large, but yeah, no, I've been meaning to try to get down to see them play. Oh, they did. They've climbed. They're like eighty now. They're starting to get there. Do they have? They have that new arena, right? Yeah, I haven't been, but I've heard it's really nice. So I'd like to get down there at some point for a game. Awesome. Well, shout out to the Stags again. Unfortunate life of being a lower mid major, as great as you can be from. November to late February, your season ultimately comes down to two or three games in March. Yep. <laughs> um, and fortunately, that's how it is. So good on the Stags. Um, hopefully, shout out to Carly Tebow uh, Dudonis. That's Mike Tebow's daughter, right? Yeah. Yep, it is. And Eric Tebow's sister. Sister, yeah. So I'm family knows how to coach. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, Andrew Sanders is going to join us here shortly. He said 9.15. It is 9.15. Play-by-play voice of NC State. Get your general thoughts on last night's game. It was a close game. I thought NC State a couple of times looked like they were going to pull away. North Carolina comes back, actually took a lead in the fourth quarter, then a 7-0 run by the Wolfpack pretty much ended things. Nice win for NC State last night. Yeah, good win for NC State. It has to be on both sides, like the ugliest endgame execution. I've yeah, seen it was not great. In a long time, the last five minutes were brutal no one could make a shot gonna make a free throw the turnovers it was i was like who actually wants to win this game but uh no i mean good win for nc state i think they've kind of got a tough stretch of of acc play coming up here so we're gonna learn a lot about just how good this team is and i think that win over north carolina is a good step in the right direction for them the sequence what well, they're up three with like 30 however many seconds left 20 30 seconds the turnover off the inbound, which led to like a four-on-one where where North Carolina looked like, what do we do here? Um, then it turned into a missed layup. It's like, that's, yeah. that's that's the stuff right there. Late game execution by both sides. <laughs> um, other ACC yep. takeaways, though, because we'll, we'll talk more about the Wolfpack and the Tar Heels. Notre Dame, big win over UConn that neither of us saw coming. Yeah. Uh, last night went on the road to Georgia Tech and just handled their business. Uh, quick other takeaways from last night in the ACC as Andrew joins us here in a second. I think the Syracuse-Louisville one as well. Louisville, pretty handed win there. Um, I feel like I've been impressed with Louisville since they got into conference play. Quick headlines on the ACC. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, come back, and we're going to talk more in depth about the Wolfpack, the ACC, and more. Come up here in College Sports Now. Joining us now in College Sports Now, the radio play-by-play man for NC State, Andrew Sanders. Follow him on Twitter at AJSandersPXP. Andrew, thank you for joining us. We're going to start you off in e- with an easy one. Explain the ACC to us because we've been trying to figure it out for a month. Yeah, yeah, an easy one. Um, yeah, it's a great league. That's how I would sum it up uh, succinctly. What, what a great league it is. Um, there's so many, so many good teams. And it's not obviously, you know, the six or seven teams that we have ranked week in and week out. Um, it's just the depth of this league. And anybody can beat you on any given night. And I think that leads to a lot of parity. And it is, uh, I think, stressful for these uh, these players and coaches, uh, but it's also a lot of fun uh, to watch. And and it's definitely been, uh, you know, we're, we're through the halfway point and uh, it's been really, really great to cover so far. And I'm sure it's only going to get better and, and more dramatic as we get later in the year. Definitely. Going to, to NC State specifically, where did everyone, us included, Get, or go wrong on this team in the preseason. They weren't ranked, and now they're the number five team in the country. Yeah, picked eighth in the preseason in the ACC, and 
you know, to be honest with you, I did have them higher. Uh, but I, I'm also dialed in with this team. And, uh, you know, on paper, they lost their top four scorers from last year and um, had some talented freshmen coming in. But at the same time, uh, they finished eighth last year. So, um, you know, Coach Moore has talked about before. He says, yeah, I kind of understand why we were we were picked preseason eighth. But um, this is one of just uh, two teams in the country that has five or more players. They've got five players that it improved their points per game by four or more points. Um, and so, uh, and that's the entire starting five. So this team has just, you hope that players are going to take that next step forward. And uh, they've certainly done that. And sometimes uh, that shows up in ways that isn't on the stat sheet. And in this case, it's shown up in, in scoring and a number of things as well. They won last night's game with defense, right? So this is a team that can just win in a number of different ways. And they've got, the the highest rated freshman class uh, that they've ever brought in and the the five starters the veterans have all taken that next step that you hope uh players are able to take uh from one one season to the next and so all that's kind of <clears throat> excuse me all of that has kind of come together to uh to make a team that has really exceeded expectations yeah Isaiah james in particular you know she played a little bit as a freshman well like nine ten minutes a game up her numbers as a sophomore now she's averaging what, 15 a game. She technically leads the team in scoring, even though it's a very balanced team. She has you know, a 30 point game in her every so often. You know, this era of super freshmen where you expect people to come in and light the world on fire, or if they don't come in and light the world on fire, players so quickly jump in the portal, go to greener pastures. She's kind of a little old school. She stuck around and just gotten better and better. Was this type of jump expected of her this year? Uh, it was certainly hoped for. You could certainly see. Um, that she had a, a ton of potential. I remember the first practice uh, that I watched before her freshman year, and I watched her play for like a minute or two, and she didn't even take a shot, and I was really impressed with her in just those first couple minutes. I mean, her talent is really evident uh, on the court, but uh, you saw some glimpses last year. Uh, we were really shorthanded going up to uh, Virginia Tech last season. I believe uh, only had seven players at the time. We had some injuries. And so she ran the point guard for the first time uh, in her career and had the ball in her hands a lot and scored 20 in that game. And that was kind of a, a sign that, hey, she could pretty much handle, you know, a bigger workload. And if, if she played a lot of minutes and you needed her to take take a lot of shots, so she can score. And uh, so kind of you kind of knew that she had that potential and you hoped that she could kind of take that next step like we were talking about and uh she has certainly done that this season. But you mentioned the one key word, and that's balance. And this team has so much scoring balance. I think that makes them really tough to defend because they space the floor well. And there's a number of players. There's four different players that have had a 20-plus point night in the ACC. So you've got a bunch of players averaging 10 points. But any given night, somebody can go off for a big game. I mean, Westmore now has been around for a decade won like 800 games, done all the things. What is he like as the coach? I feel like, you know, nationally you hear about the Genos and the Tars, but he doesn't necessarily get the same level of attention. Yeah, he's great. Um, he's really funny. And uh, as a broadcaster, he's great to work with because um, he's good for, you know, a, a joke uh, to, to kind of lighten things up. But he's also just very open, I think, with uh, – with his thoughts on the game and, and his feelings. And um, that's going to be the same whether they win or lose. And so it, it's it been really nice for me to be able to, you know, 
have these post-game conversations with him and um, just how kind of transparent he is of, hey, this is what we were trying to do in that last time out. And we either did or didn't execute it. And um, but he is he's so detailed and um, is kind enough to kind of let us go into film with the team and shoot around and 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 be in, involved in kind of every facet. And so I see day in and day out the kind of work that's being put in and um, they, they they just do a tremendous job. And obviously in the last you know handful of years, I know this year uh, being picked preseason eighth, but uh, he had a long run in the ACC of uh, finishing higher than preseason expectations. And obviously that became kind of impossible when they won three straight titles and you start being expected to be, you know, the top team or one of the top teams in the league. But um, yeah, he he and his entire staff, they just do a great job getting this team prepared. And so they go in with a, you know, with a really good plan every game and and the players, uh, you know, do a great job following the scout. And you, you mix that preparedness with, you know, five McDonald's All-Americans. This team has a, quite a bit of talent as well. And so um, that attention to detail is uh, is really important. And uh, it's just, it's really a lot of fun to be around this team. And um, obviously, you know, being 19 and two, uh, that's that's pretty fun also. And, and they, they enjoy one another and and uh, they have they have fun. And, you know, Coach Moore is... Uh, is obviously a big part of that team's kind of take on uh, the personality of the coach. And um, he's got a great personality. Want to ask you Reynolds Coliseum, it only seats about like 5,000 handful more than that. 5,500, yeah. 5,500. Okay. My apologies. Um, still not, you know, certainly not colonial life or, you know, Thompson bowling. That place gets loud when that place is packed. Like it was last night. I was at the Yukon game. You know, lights are off. The glow sticks are going. It gets crazy you know, fairly low ceiling and tight wall. So the noise just bounces off. What's it like when that place is hopping? Yeah, I think you described it pretty well. Um, you know, for context, um, my parents went to NC state, so I am old enough to have, uh, gone and back when the men's team played there, I've been to some games. And, um, for those that don't know that it was renovated in 2016 and, uh, they actually, took the capacity down some and added a nice hall of fame. If you've, if you've been like you went for the Yukon game, I'm sure you saw that it really turned out to be a, a wonderful project. I also graduated high school uh, in that building. That was before the renovation. It did not have air conditioning. So you hear about the old stories of some of the games and how loud it was in there. And it was, it was, you know, just as loud. It was obviously uh, bigger because they kind of sealed it off uh, to kind of keep that sound in as they, as they cut down the seats. But um, it was hot. It was loud. And, and that's still the case, although there is the air conditioning now. But uh, yeah, it's it's fifty five hundred and it's tightly packed and uh, the fan base is incredible. And so uh, they sold out, you know, 12 games in a row uh, to close out the season. And um, and obviously you you experience UConn. It was like that last night. And it's, um, you know, in a rivalry game, it's going to be a great crowd. And you don't. Uh, you don't want to take it for granted, but that really is. I mean, there's a little extra juice in the building when it's when it's a rival, but it really is night in and night out, and is a it's a it's a real difference maker for this team. We talked about the amount of balance this team has. When you get kind of down to the wire, though, for this team, you know, game on the line, whose hands is the ball in? 
Yeah, um, it depends. Uh, a lot of times in late quarter situations, um, Sanaya Rivers is typically a little bit more of a facilitator. She's really unselfish, um, but a lot of times they'll try to get her going to the basket, getting downhill because she's so tough to guard. Um, and then last night, uh, Isaiah James had foul trouble, uh, didn't really get into the rhythm of the game in the first half. Uh, but in the fourth quarter, she was able to get the ball going to the rim. And so you really feel good uh, with with either Sanaya or Zaya uh, in a late game situation. And then uh, Madison Hayes and Mimi Collins can space the floor. And so that's kind of the thought is you can drive it. And a lot of times they're going to get all the way to the rim. And uh, if you have to commit another another defender to help, uh, then you're going to have a, a knockdown shooter available. So there's not, you know, that that one typical star of, okay, they're definitely going to get the last shot run, you know, isolation. But, um, you know, the answer last year uh, in a couple of games, late, late game, even, even last year uh, in the NCAA tournament, I think they ran the last play for Isaiah, um, which, and I think Isaiah James is probably the answer if I have to give you one name. Um, but this is, uh, it was Sanaya Rivers, late clock in Blacksburg that made a, a reverse layup with two seconds left to give uh, NC State the lead in that game. So um, they've got they've got a couple options. So end of the day, Andrew, <clears throat> two sides here. Why does this team make the Final Four? Why would it fall short? Well, I think that in the NCAA tournament, a lot of it comes down to matchups. Sure. And some of it comes down to bracket luck. You know, it's who you run into. Do you do you get the team that won by upset in the last round and maybe is just a, a little fortunate or a little excited to be there? Uh, do you run into, you know, a couple of years ago, <clears throat> we definitely had a Final Four caliber team. I thought we had probably the second or third best team in the country, um, but ran into UConn up in Connecticut and that's, you know, up in Bridgeport. And so uh, played, I think the game of the year in double overtime and came up just short. Um, so some of it is, is who you play. Um, but to why would this team make the final four? Uh, you know, they've been ranked pretty much since week three or four, pretty close to the top five or in the top five um, the whole way. This is, I think a, a team that, that is a top five team and has all the talent to do it, has the balance that we're talking about uh, to be able to get there. And if you're looking at last night's win over North Carolina, I think that really illustrates how uh, when this team plays their A game, right? You saw them in the UConn game. That was the A game, okay? That was UConn when they were pretty healthy, AZ FUD. Um, you know how good that UConn team is. They played their A game and won that game, played their A game against Colorado and you know, we're up, you know, 20 at halftime. I mean, this team, when they're playing at their absolute best, is absolutely good enough to get to a Final Four. But last night, did three of 16 from three. Isaiah James, your leading scorer, is out for the first half with foul trouble. Um, didn't play their best ball. Probably didn't play their B game either. But found a way to win on the defensive end. And this team can win on a night when it doesn't really play its, its top game. So that would be the case, I think, for making it. But on the other side, you know, who you play, and of course, this team doesn't have uh, a ton of depth. So obviously, uh, with any team, it's going to come with the caveat if, if they stay healthy, right? And, and injuries can derail any season. So um, 
or if you just run into a team, right, that that plays their A game because there's so many good teams. I think the parity uh, in college basketball has just improved year over year. So um, it's certainly a team that has the the potential and a really exciting potential. But, you know, it's going to come down to uh, a couple nights in March. Do you like Albany or Portland personally? No, no, don't worry about the basketball side. Been either one? I haven't been to either one, uh, but obviously we we do go up to Syracuse. I don't know how different Albany is from Syracuse, um, but I have not been. I've been to the West Coast a number of times, but only to California. So personally, I would I would prefer Portland um, just to get a chance to see Oregon because I've seen New York, um, both the city of New York and 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 up in Syracuse. So I like Portland, but honestly, uh, just to get to a sweet 16 would be, uh, would be tremendous wherever they want to send us is fine by me. <laughs> that's the, that's a good answer. Andrew Sanders on Twitter at AJ Sanders, PXP radio voice, at NC state. Andrew, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah. Thank y'all. Appreciate it. Our thanks to Andrew Sanders. Good stuff on the Wolfpack. I think I know it's a log jam at the top, Megan. I think push come to shove NC state. I'm not sure it's, I guess you can call it close, but I think they're they're the best team in the conference. I'd say a good step above everyone else. Um, not to say that they're going to guarantee to win the ACC or the ACC tournament. I just think when I look at you know those that top of what five six contenders, I just think they have the fewest weaknesses. Yeah, I would agree. I think they look like the best team, even if they're not currently on top of the standings. I would say that's a fair assessment. Like Louisville, like pretty good in most categories, but they turn the ball over a lot. Uh, they're somewhat mediocre on D. Virginia Tech has two of the five best players in the conference, but they don't really have anything else outside of those two. Um, so it's a thin margin. Like North Carolina, they're long. They're just not efficient offensively. It's a grind to watch them sometimes. Mm-hmm. Syracuse is the opposite. They have a bona fide stud. They can score. They can't stop anybody. And then Notre Dame, all-American freshman. I think Anna Hidalgo, I think it's secured her spot this week. First team All-American. Um, I still question if they have enough offense consistently against uh, higher caliber competition. But, you know, let's let's talk about that Notre Dame win over UConn because I, I have thoughts more on the – I'm not going to say more on the Husky side because I think Notre Dame proved um, that it's better – you know, it's, it, it has a higher ceiling, I think, than you and I gave them credit for. Yeah, I agree. I think let's start with the Notre Dame side. And I I agree with that. I think they were a team that was like hanging around on the top of the net in the rankings that I was just like, I don't see it. And like that Syracuse lost earlier in the week right before. And I was like, okay, I definitely don't see it. But then they go into UConn at Campbell and win that game. And I think we saw where the ceiling for this team is. And it's certainly a team that I don't know that they're a final floor team, but certainly a team that could make it into the second weekend, make it an elite eight. I don't want to overreact too much to, yes, it's right. a good win at Gamble. I think that Syracuse game, though, that could be a game that we point to and say that was a bit of a turnaround. Like They scored 65 points. They looked a little lackluster. They scored 82 on the road. They scored 85. Georgia Tech, they're not a bad team. They're not a tournament team, but mm-hmm. you know they just they went in and had a business-like 37-point win last night. I expect them to hammer pit this weekend. You know, you can kind of see things starting to click offensively as opposed to let's give it to Hannah Hidalgo, which that's not a bad play. Yeah. <laughs> but when, you know, Maddie Westbell wants to go out and hit four threes in a game, when you just have other complimentary pieces, Maddie Westbell always kills UConn. 
but when you have these other complementary pieces score more consistently, then especially with their ability to generate turnovers, it just the ceiling gets raised so much. And ACC, they have four more games against ranked teams before the end of the regular season. So I think we'll learn more um, about how good this Notre Dame team can be. Yeah, I agree. I think there'll be plenty of opportunities to see. I think they still have NC State maybe early March. They've got Louisville, I think, in there. So there should be yes. some good they games. They play Louisville twice. They will play them next Thursday at the Yum. Then they close the regular season at home against them. Uh, they play home NC State two weeks from now, and then they host Virginia Tech. So three home games against ranked teams, and then the trip to Louisville, and then a trip to Florida State next week as well. And then a trip to Duke, a team that the metrics really like. I think they're like 15th in the Her Hoop Stats composite. They're not ranked. I'm not that high on Duke. Um, good defense. They still can't score a whole lot. But Notre Dame, um, they jumped a class for me in the last week. Um, even, you know, again, a win over Georgia Tech for most people doesn't do anything. It's just the, the manner in which right. there was no letdown after the win over UConn. That's a lot of travel, too, to go from you know, South Bend to stores, back to South Bend, down to Atlanta. <laughs> just do what you need to do. And that's what good teams do. Uh, UConn side of things. What are your thoughts on the Huskies? I have. My final thoughts to the Huskies, maybe for the season. Okay. I, I'm not that dramatic about it. I think we saw, I think it was the first time we saw the impact of the injuries and not in the way that like having Aubrey Griffin would impact this game, which it would. But I think in the way of like their margin is so thin, like they need that starting five to be on the floor and on to be the type of team that competes with the top team in the country. You can't have Nico Mule sit on the bench for 20 minutes like that. That does not work for this team. Um, and then, like, compounded with the bad night for Paige, that really doesn't work for this team. So I think that's what my biggest takeaway was. Like, this team, and if ever the starting five is on and they're on the court for most of the game, they're really, really good. If they're not, the, the floor falls quickly, and that's going to come down to, I think, when they get to March. Like, you can't, someone can't have an off night, and if someone has an off night, that ends their season, probably. Yeah, I'm, I'm out. I'm out on UConn. It's fine. <laughs> like, my opinion, <clears throat> it won't change at this point. Like, you see what happens when Paige Beckers isn't an All-American. Like, Aaliyah Edwards was great on Saturday. Mm -hmm. Didn't matter. Right. Uh, they, they played six games this year against, no offense to Marquette and Creighton, against teams who are second weekend good. They gave up 92 to NC State. They gave up 78 to UCLA. They gave up 80 to Texas with Rory Harmon. 64 against North Carolina, 62 Louisville. Gave up 82 at home to Notre Dame. Like, that's who they are. Like, if you want to blame it on injuries, that's fine. The defense isn't good enough. I expect them to go, you know, if they'll go to South Carolina with or without Camilla Cardozo, they'll probably give up 80 to lose. And as soon as they see a guard who can get to the rim in the tournament, that might be it. And that's fine. Like, yeah. you know, they're, they're, they're a sweet 16, maybe elite eight team. I just, you know, I asking Paige Beckers to be a superhero for six straight games. Like Caitlin Clark did it possibly better than anyone could possibly do it last year. And she came up a game short. Like, that. yeah. So that's it. Like, it's fine. I'm not mad at you. Come, I'm just out. Yeah. I, I don't know that I fully agree. I think Nika Mule not playing 20 minutes in that game has a really big impact on the defense. If you look at it, I just went through the first half, but like not that Hidalgo wouldn't have gone off if Nico Mule was on the floor, but 16 of her 19 first half points came when Nico Mule was on the bench. 
Nika changes the defense and the guards for that team. I think you saw it against Lucy Olsen. I know Villanova isn't the caliber of team that Notre Dame is, but I'd say Lucy Olsen is in that caliber of, of strong guards, and they were able to to shut her down pretty well on Wednesday. So I feel like had Lucy Olsen gone off for 30 on Wednesday, I would have been out, but that made me think that there's still some hope there. Look at us disagreeing for once. It only took a year and a half. <laughs> Um, you know who else I'm out on? LSU. Oh, about. God, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm they won a national <laughs> title and you were never in on them. So That's yeah. true. That's true. It doesn't mean anything that we're out on them. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm out on them. Like, they have two dominant post players, which is great, unless you can't defend or shoot the three or protect the basketball, none of which LSU can seemingly do. And... Like we're in February now. You can't just say, oh, they'll figure it out because evidence is mounting that they're not going to quite figure it out. Again, like I'm not saying they're going to lose in the first round. Um, they'll get to the second weekend. You take your chances from there, but I just, they, they keep being 144th in defense. They keep being next to last nationally in three point rate, and they keep turning it over 16 times a game. So those are their averages. So like at some point, you are what you are. Um, so those reasons, like a shark, I'm out. What does yeah. it do for Mississippi State, meanwhile? I, I think it helps them. I think they're a team that we're pretty firmly, I'd say, in anyway. But, I mean, the, I think it puts them in, unless the floor falls out for the rest of the season like they're in at this point. So it's good for them. It helps them seeding-wise. But yeah, LSU, I mean, the, the SEC isn't very good this year. So to be picking up multiple losses beyond South Carolina, they aren't figuring it out is what that tells me. <laughs> yeah. Um, for what it's worth, I know I'm out on UConn and LSU. Here's who I think is the final four good. South Carolina, UCLA, assuming Lauren Betts <laughs> is okay. Iowa, full strength K-State, Ohio State, Stanford, and NC State. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven teams, four of them. I think are, I think your group of four comes from those seven teams. I've seen enough red flags from everyone else. I could be wrong. <laughs> I mean, I probably will be wrong. I just, as it stands right now, those seven, I think I can see them making a run and it being believable. Everyone else, I'd be very surprised. That's fair. I haven't really thought about it yet, so I don't want to give my list because I don't think I have it. But That's fine. I don't know. I also feel like... The season like screams like random like four seed that just makes the final four because if there if there's, there's a year to, it, this is it you're right yeah <laughs> like an Arizona type what was Arizona they were a four right yeah yeah they were and if you're gonna have a year where it was like remember the I think it was the last Stewie year Syracuse was what a seven or was Washington Washington was a higher seed Washington was seven I think they were the seven Syracuse wasn't highly yeah. seeded. Yeah, so if there's, I I could see there being a year like that. If you're gonna go chalk though, um, I think those are your your one seeds that would do it. Um, that leads us into this weekend. You mentioned a billion SEC bubble teams. <laughs> we got a lot in action. I mean, I think they all play each other, so you're gonna have SEC drama. But I think now that we're in February, you can kind of start looking. All right, especially from your point of view, Miss Bracketologist, like beyond. Sure, we're gonna watch UCLA Stanford on Sunday. But mm -hmm. what are some of these games, specifically in the SEC, that people should be paying attention to? Like last night, for example, you know, Ole Miss Vanderbilt. Like that's not a game 
you know, a month ago, I probably would have cared about. But last night, oh, Vanderbilt's yeah. on the bubble. Ole Miss isn't really on the bubble, but they're, you know, bubbly enough where like, yeah, just go on the road and win. So what are some of these other games that you're watching? Yeah, I think on Sunday, I mean, Auburn, Arkansas, two teams that are definitely not in the field right now. Could they maybe get there? They need to do more than just win that game, but that is that's definitely one of them. Or let's see. I mean, Mississippi State, Texas A&M, not really a bubble game, but that should just be a good game as well. I would say that's fair. Uh, you have ten, you have Tennessee in the field. Yeah, they need to win that Missouri game. Obviously, sure. um, they need to probably do more than just beat Missouri. But I think because they're Tennessee. And because they lost a fair amount of those games without Rakia Jackson, unless like the sky starts falling for the rest of the season, I'd be kind of shocked to see the committee leave them out. So they're 13 and seven. They have South Carolina twice and LSU. So say they lose for all three of those games. So that's what 10 losses and they take care of business. Like you now they go to Alabama. That could be tricky. They host Arkansas. They host Texas A&M. Make like the SEC tournament semis, 11 losses, <clears throat> excuse me, 11 losses, probably good enough, right? Yeah. They have to take care of business. Enough. Yeah, they have to take care of business, get a win over LSU, and you can pretty much secure that in the end, I would say. Okay. Uh, other um, games, let's see, we'll go chronologically as we kind of just jumping around. Uh, tonight, Stanford hosts USC, the Washington uh, Washington State hosts Colorado. Um preview that at all i mean i, I think usc is coming back down to earth uh, yeah. interested in see if colorado i know you're down on them a little bit i'm starting to lean your way a loss tonight i think would kind of put me yeah. firm put me firmly in that i'm with you just a little, well, little think, too much yeah. too to lose that i don't think they're gonna lose that game tonight because there's no Charlie's Ledger Walker, and I that's, just that's think, fair. I forgot about yeah, that. like Washington State. I don't know that they have enough. If they lose that game tonight, I think that's probably concerning for Colorado a little bit, just because you're now talking about a Washington State team that's without what really makes that team go. Uh, the only interesting game tomorrow. It's not even interesting. The pr- the <laughs> primetime Fox game is yuck. Maryland Iowa, a Maryland team that just last week set a program record by giving up 112 to Penn State. So yeah, the uh, the radar is going off on that one. Uh, they're hosting Iowa, so maybe they'll, you know, won't give up 100. But <laughs> Not, I don't know it's Iowa, though. So. Time to panic? Here's what I said. Uh, they're, on like, very close to falling out. You might very well be right. That they're not Three weeks ago them. on this show, I said, is there a scenario in which Maryland loses to Iowa this Sunday and they're four and seven in the Big Ten, and they're sitting there at twelve and ten overall. Well, assuming they don't pull the upset on Sunday, they're going to be twelve and ten overall and four and seven in the Big Ten. They haven't missed the tournament in over a decade. Uh, sticking with it, they're that they're gonna they're gonna find a way to miss out. The schedule outside after Sunday, admittedly, it's manageable. There's no guarantees in there, but um, manageable. So let's let me pull it up real quick. So assuming they're twelve and ten. They still have to play at Ohio State and at Indiana. Tough, but they play Rutgers twice. That should be two wins. You you have to win at Illinois, and you have to get revenge against Penn State at home. Like, those two games, I think, make or break whether they get in or not. And then they might have to win a game or two in wherever the heck the Big Ten tournament is. Yeah. 
still, I don't know. I feel like you're, you got to have at least like 17 wins to even be in the conversation, I think, to get in. And they're starting to get into, well, they have that territory. So they're going to be like Oregon last year where, because they're still like a top 20 something in the net. Uh, yeah. They're 34th in the net. 30, the others dropped. Yeah. yeah. Their strength of schedule, I feel like, is helping them hang on too, because I think they're like second behind UConn for strength of schedule in the country. So, like, the losses with that doesn't look quite as bad, but I don't know. Like, they're, they're certainly on the bubble and at risk of being on the wrong side of it. Yeah. So that's the. I understand they make TV schedules months in advance, and I know yes. the, the folks at Fox were like, oh, that would be a great game. Not going to be a great game. Uh, Sunday, this should be a great game. Let's just assume Lauren Betts is playing Stanford at UCLA. Give me your breakdown of this one because it's I think it's a fascinating matchup for, like, for what you said is the only matchup scheduled between these two this year. Yeah, I feel like these are, in my opinion, at least the two best teams in the, the Pac-12 and with the couple of weeks that UCLA's had, I think Stanford is shockingly, because I don't think any of us would have predicted this in the preseason, like looking like the number two overall seed at the moment. But I mean, the post battle is the highlight of this one, right? You've got um, Irafin and, and Brink against Bats. That should be a really fun battle. But I think beyond that, UCLA, I would say, definitely has the advantage in the, the guard space. So while I think Stanford probably has the advantage inside UCLA has it on the perimeter. So I think it's going to be a fun one. It can really go either way. Uh, I guess Cameron Brink is healthy. Yeah. We questioned last week. That, <laughs> yeah. And then she went out and put up 20 and 16 and then 25 and 19 against the, the desert schools. So yeah, I guess she's fine after leaving the Oregon game early with an injury. Uh, K-State, Texas, not going to lie. Like I know it should do something for me. It's a top 15 matchup. It just doesn't because I like there's so much more that it could be. And I know mm-hmm. like I have to get over Rory Herman got hurt. But Aoka Lee's not playing. I feel like it just takes away so much from a game that otherwise, like, it's a good game. You should watch. Right. Right. Yeah, it should be a good one. Interested to see if like Kansas State can rebound from that loss at Oklahoma with this one. Texas, like they clearly aren't what they were with Rory Harmon, but like the drop hasn't also been as drastic as I maybe thought it would be, which is maybe more just a statement about the Big 12 than it is about Texas. I don't know, but I'm, I'm interested to see how this one goes. I mean, they're the defense, like the Vic Schaefer defense, they're still going to mm-hmm. defend well and they're going to generate turnovers and that, that can carry a long way um, when you have talent elsewhere like they do. And then a game that I feel like flies under the radar because... Iowa's just so prominent in the Big Ten, but Indiana, Ohio State, I'm not fully out on the Hoosiers. I just need them. Like, they're still, they're what, 17 and three overall or 18 and three overall. Like, they only have three losses, two losses. I'm sorry. Um, They just, they got blown out non competitively at Iowa, and then they got blown out non competitively at Stanford. So, Kind of a little Yukoni in that, like you're great until you you run into the teams that you need to, and then you just haven't been able to take care of business. If they take care, if they go out and to Columbus and and win on Sunday, I can be convinced that Indiana. I don't know if they're Final Four good, but I can be convinced. I don't know that I'm sold on them, but 
We'll see what they do in Columbus. Yeah, I mean, if they go out and, you know, if they lose by 20, then like, sure. All right. They, they are who yeah. they are. And then Ohio State. I'm so ready to be back in on Ohio State. <laughs> I'm, I'm all in. I need the Buckeyes to go out and do that 20 point win on Sunday so I can come in and be like, yeah, I was we were right all along. They just <laughs> need a little time to bake. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. I don't I think they've gotten better. I don't know that I'm fully sold on them yet, but it's definitely coming along. Uh, and then midweek next week, NC State, Louisville, all the ACC teams are they're playing each other. Next Thursday, Louisville plays Notre Dame. NC State plays Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech plays North Carolina on Sunday. Like just we don't need to name every game. Assume if the ACC plays, they play generally Thursdays and, and Sundays. Like There's a game worth watching. Um, any of those stand out more than others, though? Uh, I would say the Virginia Tech-UNC one is interesting. No, I feel like, I mean, we talked about Virginia Tech has like two of the best players, but then just nothing else. And I feel like they still get a little bit of time to figure it out. But Elizabeth Haley just... has gone nuclear. Yeah. Yeah, and that's certainly helping them. So I think that'll be a good one. I would say that one probably stands out the most. I mean, Notre Dame at Pitt or Pitt at Notre Dame doesn't do much for me. Yeah, I, I would say probably Virginia Tech UNC is the big one there. Cool. Well, Megan, plug your stuff. Um, anything coming down the pike? Uh, I know Bracketology comes out weekly now. Yeah, weekly Bracketology. I think that's that's the main thing right now. So we are getting to that time of year. It is February, so we are one month from March. You already sound tired. Yeah. <laughs> My we got two more months. Wake crazy up. right now. So, yeah. <laughs> Wake up. At Megan Gower, at R underscore Joyce 34. Thanks to Andrew Sanders for joining us. Everyone, talk to you next week. Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig. Inspiring kid confidence.